and he begins to transform to scooter mode, but he hops towards the water and then engages, I guess, his surfboard mode. And Scott comments that he wishes they had the Thunderhawk instead of the rental car, which that perplexed me. He goes everywhere with Thunderhawk. You see Mask entering the scene, as you said, all jumping off the cliff and transforming. To me, this is probably the best of the whole freaking episode. Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000, 80 screw skills critical, Wyatt Bloom, broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, agents, to MassCast 64 and the ninth episode review in our Season 5 stretch of Episodes 41 to 50 of the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. Coming up on this podcast, we'll examine Episode 49, Follow the Rainbow, which will include our normal play-by-play commentary, along with audio clips mixed in from the actual episode. We'll be giving our opinions and ratings using our 1 to 5 scale system at the dramatic halfway point and at the finale of the episode. After we've completed our reviews, we'll read back listener reviews and the results from our poll found at agentsofmass.com. If you'd like to participate in these review podcasts, just visit our website and look for the MassCast assignment in the right-hand column. Follow the Rainbow was originally broadcast on December 5th, 1985 in the United States and features Venom going to Ireland to find the lost treasure of High King Brian Baru at the end of the rainbow. It's up to Mask and new agents Julio Lopez and Calhoun Burns to stop them. I'm Jason, one of your hosts of MassCast, and with me as always is my longtime friend and fellow co-host, the Scrooge McDuck to my launchpad McQuack. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Wyatt, is your life like a hurricane right now? It is. My my money bank needs a shiny dime. <laughs> well, uh, have you heard they're bringing back DuckTales? this year i have and in fact i think i text you on our last my family's last little jaunt down to uh disney world where we saw one of the banners posted so i'm eager to see what what they do and i don't know how they're gonna voice scrooge since the uh the actor that did the voice uh, i can't recall his name uh he also vo- he was also the the he was also Wilbur on Mr. Ed, mm-hmm. which I actually just recently learned. Uh, <laughs> makes sense now that I still see the voice, cut, yeah. see, hear the voice. But uh, 
I'd like to see how that works out. I want to see if they bring back Launchpad and the whole. They have released a uh, a little. I wouldn't call it a trailer, but it's the new cast singing the theme song, and they do show you know each actor and I believe who they're voicing as they're going through the theme song, and uh, it looks like they're bringing. Pretty much every character back. And I don't think from just what I've seen, and I don't know too much about the you know, the history of the show, I don't think they're bringing back any of the original actors. But I could be wrong to voice the new DuckTales series. Well, which, I know it'd be very challenging to do Huey, Dewey, yeah. and Louie, but with uh, technology as it is, I'm sure... Right. Uh, I hate to say it, Doug, but I think you might be out of a job before too long. I know you're retiring, <laughs> but just you know, hey, Matt Trucker, click. Here's Matt. Right. You right. Know. I'm waiting for it. I'm glad that voice actors still have a job. I, I would hope I could somehow land a voice acting job. Nothing well, they might need me. more engineers if they do what you're <laughs> kind True. of alluding to. <laughs> True. Maybe maybe I'll stay on the tech side. Right. Right. Yeah, the- but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about this uh, series. Although I don't get Disney XD, so I might have to lean on you for uh, your opinion. Maybe put up on Rediscover the '80s, or uh, just give me a general to see what it's like. But right. what I've read is they're doing 21 uh, half-hour episodes for the first season, and then they're also doing two-hour-long specials. So they've already committed to that, which is, I think, pretty significant. Yeah. For uh, a, a series that, gosh, I guess it's been 30 years um, since it's Unfortunately, been yes. <laughs> But, you know, my my son loved the older, uh, the original. Uh, we have uh, uh-huh. a DVD uh, four-disc set. Maybe it's three discs. But I we do have a set of them. He loved watching them. In fact, he still asks for me to uh, play the theme song in the car <laughs> periodically. So nice. I know he likes it. So I'm I'm sure that he'll like the new version when yeah. it comes out. I remember liking it as a kid, and of course, yeah. I mean, that's a, a catchy theme song. Disney was pretty good about that. You know, the uh, wasn't the uh, Gummy Bears Disney as well. Man, that I mean, there's some great theme songs. And then I do remember, do you remember the movie that hit the theaters? The uh, Treasure of the Lost Lamp? No. That hit theaters, I think, maybe right at the end of the 80s or early 90s. Uh, they actually released the movie. And I want to say I might have seen it in the theater. Because um, I was a pretty big fan. I remember watching the show... I believe it was in the afternoons. Yeah. And they, uh, it ran for a hundred episodes and also that movie. So it was very popular. And, uh, I don't necessarily think the movie did that well. I can't, I didn't make any notes on, you know, how much the box office take was, but anytime you can get, uh, an audience, you think about transformers and GI Joe and even, uh, Masters of the Universe, you know, they're all releasing theatrical movies based on the property, animated right. and not animated. 
once you get to that level, man, you've, you've really, you know, <laughs> made your mark on the kids. And that's it. And I remember enjoying that, the whole series. I, I, I guess I really liked Launchpad and how goofy he was out of yeah, the, and then they turned him into a superhero <laughs> later on. Um, in fact, I still remember a, a small, I don't remember the details. I remember there was a time machine episode and I kept, they say time machine and it's just, it's just not right. Even when, <laughs> even Bill and Ted, I'm sorry, the time, the, the t- phone booth is not a time machine. It's a DeLorean. Leave it alone. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I remember quite a bit about it. Um, I loved his launch pad saying, if it has wings, I can crush it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. He was probably my favorite character as well. So, uh, okay. Well, uh, Stay tuned for that. Well, I'm anxious to again see how that uh you know the our age our peers you know react to that and obviously the kids as Disney brings that back this summer. So uh, I wish just wish they would bring a, another one of our favorite shows back in some form or fashion. But I don't know if that's going to happen or not. <laughs> well, uh, we'll I know you've we'll got see. some news on that. Uh, I saw the headline. Yeah, I've got- read a little bit of the article earlier today. Uh, it looks like we might be getting a toy line. I don't know. We'll see. Let's uh, let's first get our mask on. Get your mask on. Yes, and as you kind of alluded to, I usually, especially for Toy Fair. Hasbro does a investor presentation online that I'll listen to and maybe I'm just uh, uh, <laughs> overconfident or uh, I don't know, maybe naive that they're going to, you know, announce this big, huge mask toy line. Um, we still don't have, we have everything and we have nothing at the same time from Hasbro and True. they, did this huge presentation at Toy Fair of, of pretty much every facet of their marketing scheme and all of their big name brands. Uh, if you remember last year at this time, they teased us with that weird montage photo that included mask of the cinematic universe. And we kind of broke that picture down. We're like, what in the world is this? Cause this is like, a mashup of several different images that have already been released. Right. So I was anxious going into this presentation that they were going to say a little bit more about the cinematic universe. Well, that wasn't mentioned at all, but as they've done for the past two or I think going on three years now, they've shown mask as a, one of their uh, new brands and not only you know were they in one slide uh, the mask logo but it was in several slides as uh i think they call it actually their emerging under their emerging brands and then they put mask in there with uh like micronauts and stretch armstrong and that new hanazuki thing which they uh actually had a bigger presentation of that new property in there but uh, we got to see the mask logo, I think, four times during this presentation. And then there's also one little snippet of the comics, and it showed the Revolution, Mask Revolution, number one comic, 
pretty predominantly, I was like, oh, cool. There's Matt Tracker. That was uh, that one of those awesome Tommy Lee Edwards covers. So, you know, like I said, here we are again. We have everything. We have Mask appearing in this presentation several times as a new brand, but they gave us nothing as far as any plans for bringing it back, how they're going to bring it back or any of that. Uh, And no mention of the cinematic universe, nothing really. They kind of touched on comics, but they didn't go into specifics really during the presentation. So, you know, we have the comic, we have the IDW comic that's uh, ongoing and we're just kind of waiting for word from Hasbro on what, they're going to do. And what I kind of alluded to in the article was that at Toy Fair, it's such a huge, huge event. You know, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest toy show in the country. And there's definitely limitations on how much they can display, how much they want to really go into. You know, you go into those big shows, you're going to try to wow people real quick because there's just so much around them and all their competitors and everything. So what I alluded to in the article was that, well, maybe during their own show at this new Hascon that's coming up in September, they'll go a little bit deeper into each of their properties. They'll have more space to lay everything out. And uh, I'm crossing my fingers that we'll see something or hear about something at Hascon and I'm not saying that they'll have like prototypes or even any kind of creative there, but I don't know. Something tells me they're going to go a little bit further into that cinematic universe, at least during that show. So, so here we sit again. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, uh, we just have to wait and see with them. They don't, they're not very, uh, uh, not even hint worthy, you know. They they give us that icon, the mask logo, but right. we have no idea what's going to go on, and we don't know if they're teasing. We don't know it's going to be a you know, like we said, we saw that one mask logo when it first debuted what two years ago, and yeah, nothing. We didn't see anything. What are you thinking? And then all of a sudden, it was comic books. So. I would love to be hopeful that this is their key, that there's a movie lined up, but we haven't heard any askings for our script. So I'm I'm just saying that won't happen, or at least not from our end. Right. Um, But yeah, we, we just don't know. And I guess it's a clever thing for them because we are captivated. We just don't know. So we're just going to cling on to whatever is coming at us. But at the same time, it's like, what is it? Are you going to let us down? Are you going to make us wait two years before you knock us over with something else uh, that we're not, I mean, the, the comics are great, but it, I guess in my assertion, that wasn't what I was looking for. I wasn't looking right, for right. the comic book debut. I was looking for the toys and the ever hopeful movie contract. What, even if it isn't ours, you know, just something. And then we get comic books. I'm like, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's a start, but really, come on. You I've got always, more money than that, Hasbro. Right, come on. Right, right. I've always said Hasbro's a toy company, so they want to they want to get to toys. Well, however they're going to do it, you know, those 
Transformer movies, yeah, they they do a lot worldwide, and those are very profitable. But they are there to produce toys, essentially. And th- you know, think about this too. GI Joe is one of their long-lasting brands uh, right. from the very beginning. And you know, we've gotten a couple movies. We've gotten some, you know, twenty-fifth anniversary figures and such. And they've released a lot. And kind of kept that going, but they've been silent now for I don't know, a couple years at least. I don't know when that second GI Joe movie came out. It's been I think at least five years now. It's been some time, uh, yeah. So that's even you know GI Joe is so many levels above the mask, and they're just kind of letting that sit. So it could be that they use GI Joe to kind of lead the charge. Like they've said in the cinematic universe, GI Joe is the first brand mentioned in all of their press releases and stuff up to this point. And then, then you get the supporting cast behind GI Joe, you know, mask, micronauts and ramen. Right. Um, visionaries, I think was the five. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we'll try to keep an ear to the ground and I'm, when I think about it, I'll zip over to uh, Hasbro's newsroom, and I've got their uh, I've got their actually their press release feed that comes to my tablet. So any releases I get, and I'll scan through, and sometimes I'll just go over there and see if they've changed their investor, you know, PowerPoint that they have posted over there. It's still on 2016, so. <laughs> any any little change I'm I'm trying to find and dig and we'll try to keep everybody up to up to date once we find out anything. But right, uh, right now I I think people should kind of lean towards September and we'll cross our fingers that Hascon will give us a little insight. Um, let's move on a couple more things. Uh, it's been a while since we podcasted, so I've got. Uh, Several things I wanted to mention in case people haven't been over to the site. Well, one thing I did want to mention that we had a little giveaway on Facebook. I don't know if you saw that, Wyatt, but uh, I put a little giveaway together, a few comics. I work for a printing company, so I printed out several sheets of those uh, paper craft figures, uh, those templates that you can kind of create your own mask figures that kind of look like Minecraft guys. Um I printed out several of those on cardstock and then I think I threw in a sticker and uh, maybe a little mini poster I had left over. So I put all that together. Quick shout out to Bill Norris who won that. And I'm going to try to do more giveaways, maybe on Facebook or even Twitter, kind of like what I'm doing with Rediscover the 80s. Um, Just trying to beef up our presence there and, of course, give our followers a, uh, a chance to win something cool that uh, they can put in their collection, that kind of a thing. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, Did you see this article that our pal Jose from the Mask P&A group uh, discovered? It was a a New York Times article, I think from the 1985 Toy Fair. And from the uh, the person writing the article and the people they interviewed at Hasbro, or I guess it was Kenner at the time, they said that the Mask animated series was initially supposed to be a five-part miniseries. 
thought that was really cool. I had never heard that before. And Jose dug up that article, and I had to kind of dissect it and give my my, my take on it right. uh, over there on the the website. But I thought that was really interesting. You know, we've talked about, and Anna, our friend who is always uh, reviewing along with us during these podcasts, she's always talked about, you know, we wish there was a two-part episode that they would throw in like they did with several of the other shows. Mask never did that. And you think about G.I. Joe, several other animated series started out or included some kind of miniseries, you know, during their run. And I just thought that was cool that that was initially intended. And I'm wondering if those five episodes are locked away in a vault somewhere, you know? They very well could be, but for (laughs) some reason, um, I want to say, don't quote me, but I want to say that in our interview with Doug, Mm -hmm. he alluded to something along that line that they were hired for, a few episodes. I don't think he said a number. Maybe he did say the number, and I'm I'm forgetful right now. But I was you mentioning that makes me mm-hmm. wonder. I vaguely remember him saying that they were he was initially or they were initially hired on for just a few, a, and then they, yeah, yeah, and then it kind of hey, this thing went off better than than we thought. Uh, let's turn it into. You know, you know, an ongoing thing, and see how long we can, you know, ride this train. Uh, <laughs> that, that was kind of the the, the again. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being wishful now, but I, I want to. Th- I think he said something along those lines. Well, and now that you say that, I do kind of remember him having some kind of reaction like that. And I'm gonna have to go back to our interview, which is uh, mm-hmm. Masscast 38, and listen to what he said because. I think it was like they were they weren't expecting to do like a 65 episode run right off the bat. So Right. Right. Maybe there That's is why I'm thinking that- some some footage somewhere. I'm, I'm it would be interesting to know when exactly they contacted him to come into the studio. Was it before or after this date? They were supposed to be I think is what they said they were going to release these 5 episodes in June of 85, but we know that the mask animated series didn't debut until the end of September. So either that, uh, the, the, the plan to do the mini series was scrapped or they did it. Another theory, which I've, uh, somebody commented on Facebook about, which I thought was interesting. Well, like the, uh, the end credits, the end credits of the show, has some animation that you just don't see during the show. You know, some shows at the end credits, you see footage from other episodes and such. Right. Maybe they, maybe they use some of that original animation to do the end credits. And then I kind of had the idea that maybe, you know, we, we have those mini comics that talk about an origin story, uh, Matt's brother dying and, Miles Mayhem betraying him, that sort of thing in those uh, toy insert comics, and maybe they had the five you know episode miniseries planned around that, and maybe the FCC or just they thought at the last minute that that was too much for kids at the time. Somebody dying, and <laughs> you know there was the whole 
deal with uh, the Transformers movie. And then when the the GI Joe movie came out, they were going to kill off Duke and decided, Oh no, he's just going to be in a coma. Right. And when, when that all went down then, and that was, that was a decision based on the reaction to killing off Optimus prime. So I don't know. That was, I think about that. It might actually might've been later. I can't remember when the Transformers movie came out. It might've been like 86 or 87. It was later. Yes. Uh, but I don't know. And maybe there's a, there was an ulterior motive for not releasing it based on some story they already had planned out. Right. So I don't know. It's interesting to me. I thought any little nugget like this that we get. Oh, you know, yes. Gosh, 32 years later is just, I don't know. It's just pure energy for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, really? And then I start digging and you try to find more stuff you know, on the internet and try to maybe seek out some people that might know the details of that. And, but now 32 years later, a lot of those people are retired. They're in their seventies or late sixties. And that's what we need. (laughs) Honestly, what we need is to find the original writers and producers uh, and see if we can't get them hooked onto a episode. I've appealed to uh, Mr. Saban several times through his website to uh, <laughs> release the rights to the soundtrack. So uh, one of these uh, online companies like, uh, like La La Land Records, they released like the Masters of the Universe soundtrack. I'd love for somebody just to release the mask soundtrack, mm-hmm. even, if, even if it's just a digital release and not like on CD or anything like that. I mean, that would just be huge and a huge for the community and and yeah. just getting people back in um because they're the music of us, yeah awesome. i've been trying to appeal to him for years <laughs> to no avail. so uh anyway all right well that was a fun little thing that's popped up uh, a couple other things quickly that um i've gone over on the the site there to do D- building off our last show i dove a little bit deeper into the vortex history and uh, just basically looking at all the vehicles and and how closely they resembled mask and wanted to kind of expand on our previous podcast about that show. Um, I was digging through, I I love going to the archive.org and digging through like old magazines and uh, everything that they have over there. And they have just slew of video game magazines from the eighties. And I found a few reviews of the mask video game that was released, I believe mainly over in Europe. Um, it was for like the, uh, the Amstrad and the ZX spectrum consoles, that kind of a thing. And I posted a little snippet of uh, the review. I actually gave it a pretty good review uh, in that magazine. And I thought that was interesting that, uh, they were, they were behind the the creators on that game. And then, uh, I found a couple of fun little things. Uh, found some fan art over on deviant art from, uh, Shiru Deku. I'm going to butcher that. I don't know if that's just a pen name or, or whatever, but, um, he did some really cool designs of the characters more or less, uh, 
real life uh, style. And they added these cool like 80s neon fonts and stuff for their name. Uh, that was some really cool art. Go check that out. And then you remember the muscle figures from the 80s? Yes, I do. Uh, I, and I forgot to mention those on our uh, <laughs> on our little toy box inventory on our other podcast uh, when we did those. But these things were just really cool. And there's that whole Shapeways uh, website where people design stuff specifically for 3D printers. And we've seen uh, some of our friends from the community put uh, weapons and um, all kinds of accessories and stuff from the original Kenner toy line. Some of which like that little piece that always gets broke off from switchblade to keep the wings up, you know, things like that. They've been really creative about putting uh, accessories and, and such on there and uh, just got a, quick post to our Facebook page. And I mean, these were really cool. I thought they're little miniature figures. They're only about an inch and a half high. So I kind of likened them to those like muscle size figures mm-hmm. uh, from the eighties. And of course they're not rubber. They're not that rubbery style. They're more like a harder plastic, but uh, the, the designer Trent Troop, he post on our, page i saw the images and i was like oh man these are cool and i gotta share them and i put them over there and uh got some pretty good reaction from fans and uh some some really good traffic came through our site uh after posting those and uh they're interesting if you're uh if you got a little bit of extra in your pocket and you want to get one of these figures they come in different colors or you can just get like a plain white and custom paint your own more towards the actual figure. R- really cool. Really cool. And he plans to do more and uh, release more up there. I think he had f- just four of the characters uh, when he initially sent me that message. So really cool. And uh, again, I just love finding new fans out there and interacting with them and seeing their passion for mask all these years later to go out and want to design, you know, it's like something like that. Right. Really, It's really cool. It's really cool. It is. And, and, uh, and keeps like me you motivated. Said, that is it. it. That I guess you couldn't say any better. It, it, it keeps you motivated because you, you know, like you and I, we have such a passion for mask and, and it sometimes one, you wonder what's going on, you know, does anybody else feel the love after a while, but then, you know, you get reinvigorated because, someone uh, basically finds a niche, whether it's the 3d printer or making the costumes. Yeah. I mean, just it, there's just so much stuff now in the geek world. <laughs> I'll say um, or th- that everybody's trying to find something new to bring mask into, which is really neat. Right. That's it's so. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, one more thing, and then let's go ahead and get into the review. I'm just there's been a lot since. Yeah, we've been we've, absent, uh, unfortunately. Just life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've both been busy and had some uh, things going on. Tests we had to study for and pass, and <laughs> uh, had to focus in on just uh, our families for a while. So we haven't been on the air 
uh, I guess it's been about a month. But anyway, um, I've been really kind of frustrated with uh, IDW and the new comic. And, and this, again, this isn't necessarily a criticism of the artwork or even Brandon Easton. It's just the release date just keeps getting moved around and around and around. And it's, it's really frustrating. We had, you know, the first comic come out in November. We had one in December. And then now number three has been pushed back several times. It was originally in January and then it was moved to mid-February, then the end of February, and now the latest that I have, I'm looking at previewsworld.com, which is pretty reliable. It will be out March 1st. So Jeez. for us uh, listening, and, and while you're listening, it'll probably be the next week. It'll be coming out on March 1st. And then uh, the Mask Annual which we've talked about a little bit, which is the larger book and different writers, a couple different stories. They're redoing the Deathstone plot and story in that mask annual. That's going to come out on March 8th. And then right now, Previews World is showing mask number four and mask number five for March 29th, which would be awesome if that would happen. Right. To get essentially caught up into this monthly release system. So we're getting something at least once a month. So uh, I won't, I've heard a couple of things through the grapevine that I won't get into on this show, but um, it sounds like there was some, some hold up there and they're trying to resolve that and get back on track to uh, releasing this each month. So, We'll keep our fingers crossed. I'm, I've been wanting to get my hands on issue number three. So that should be coming out March 1st. And then possibly possibly in March, we'll get four new comic books, four new mask comic books, which would be great. Number three, four, five, and then that mask annual. So keep your fingers crossed if you're into the series. If you're not into the series, if, you, if you've checked out the first maybe couple issues or the, the Revolution series, Look at that mask annual. I'm kind of interested in seeing how that plays out if they go more classic versus uh, the story that Brandon Easton has been going along with. Just to, the variety is a good thing. Yes. And it, again, I've somewhat enjoyed the mask series. There's some things here and there. And uh, maybe we'll get into, we, I don't think we ever really broke down issue number two. But when maybe when we finally get some more of these books out, we'll do another kind of review podcast, and I'll <laughs> I'll hash out some of my uh, reservations. But um, I, I'm just happy that Mask is back out there, really. And we've got a you know like an action story. It's not anything that's really I think bringing the franchise down. It's you know, it, but it's just geared towards the modern day, so. Right. Some of us that you know that I've interacted with that are less than happy with the new book are wanting something more classic. So maybe this this annual book will give them something at least in the meantime to kind of lean on. 
Right. So. And I know you and I have spoke on and off. Uh, maybe we have some uh, creative people out there listening uh, that would like to go in with us, uh, kind of adapting our script into a fan fiction comic. Um, you know, go ahead and mm -hmm. reach us. Uh, reach out to us, either messaging us on Facebook or uh, uh, contacting Jason uh, via uh, the yeah. the Agents of Masks email address. Because you know, just really, we're all we all have a, a take or or passion for the franchise. And if there's anybody that's uh, creative graphics. Um, that's into doing comics, you know, you know, we're, we're interested at least talking. We can't pay, but you know, uh, well, really we might be able to do a little bit, but yeah, I, I think it would be fun. And I've for a long time, have really wanted to sit down and convert our movie script into something a little more readable, right? Not necessarily a full novel or book, but, just something that's um, like more of a fan fiction, like you say, right. that we can release and just let everybody know the story that we've been blabbing about on this show for a long time. Uh, just to see what they get their opinions and such. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody wants to reach out to us and, uh, and do some creative work, even if it's just a few panels or a few scenes would be really cool. Oh yeah. Uh, Jason at agents of mass.com. You can reach me or just message us on uh facebook there so well we've gone on for a long time it's gonna be a long show yes it unless is we zip, unless we zip through this uh review but uh <laughs> you ready to go to ireland partner i am ready to start the mouse cast we come upon a seaside scene then to a farmer shearing his sheep with Matt and the duo watching with Scott complaining that he'd like something else to do. What a surprise. <laughs> T-Bob replies, Scout is more like it. Yeah, this is an unlucky day for both of us. But Scott, luck comes not from the wishing, but from the doing. Uh, I don't go for all that good luck stuff, Patty. However, T-Bob does. Again, the emotional... Humanity that is uh, T-Bob just radiates from him. Mm -hmm. Then Scott goes over to a sheep to do something while Matt asks Patty to look over factory designs for textiles. He comments on a new strain of sheep that Matt has developed. And, and now we have tracker genetics uh, to add to <laughs> tracker whatever for enterprises. Right. <laughs> that the sheep are now sheared twice as often, adding more jobs. We now turn to Scott saying, Hey, this is fun! Whoa! Excuse me, Patty, but I'd better help Scott before he gets fleeced. And here we go with the puns. Uh, T-Bob jokes that he needs a training razor. Then Scott argues that too bad he isn't a sheep or he'd shear T-Bob. And T-Bob replies that he'd only get steel wool. I actually laughed at that. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Uh, a couple of chuckle moments. So Scott suggests they check out the other sheep before they get into more trouble. Then Scott replies that uh, 
that that was all a close shave. Yeah, Hardy's heart. Yeah, so we cut over to a pasture scene where Scott asked Mike if the sheep eat anything other than grass. He'd take a double cheeseburger any day. You'd take a double cheeseburger every minute if you could. Tis getting late. It'd be time to... No! Oh, wait! Look! I found a four-leaf clover, just like Patty said I would. I looked for luck, and I found it. That's not what he meant. You have to make your own luck, not grow it. T-Bob seems to completely ignore it and says that they'll have the luck of the Irish from now on. However, Mike states that he may be right as he points to a rainbow that has now appeared. Perplexed as there is no storm. Scott is intrigued and bets that there is a pot of gold at the end. Of course, T-Bob can't help himself. He feeling lucky all of a sudden. <laughs> and then Scott remarks that this luck is different when T-Bob interjects that it grows on you. Uh-huh. And this takes us to a rocky shoreline. Right. They're now climbing down the cliffside uh, towards the ocean and where they viewed this rainbow. Scott yells over to T-Bob to be careful or he'll get his feet wet. Well, T-Bob gets splashed and he kind of shakes it off. You're all wet if you think we're going to find any gold here. Aye, he's right, lad. Tis time we be getting back. Ain't nothing here. Come on. I just know there's gold in them there rocks. And uh, this is... a. I kind of sat back for a second because Scott is usually defiant with T-Bob, you know, when Scott suggests, oh, let's go search over here or something. And T-Bob says, well, your dad said, you know, he's like, ah, it'll be okay. But this was really the first time I saw Scott really kind of defiant to uh, somebody else or somebody that was actually supposed to be in charge. (laughs) Right. You know, Another but it adult seems to be his character, you know, to just really to defy what anybody says, really. Right, and of course, he usually sneaks off anyway after Matt gives him the order to stay put. But he just never tells Matt knows to his face. <laughs> you know, that's what was kind of brazen with me at this point, where he's right. just like, "Ah, screw you, Mike. I'm going to go find this gold." <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway, so they're farther ahead now they're out on this like outcropping and scott tells him to look and unbelievably he does see a pot of gold by the curl of a leprechaun's nose i'll not be believing it well i do my four-leaf clover did bring us luck you mean our four-leaf clover t-bob let's go tell dad and at this point i was like what why don't you keep going you went down that far uh, why are you walking away? Well, exactly. We learned, we learned later in the episode, obviously, that they couldn't reach it. There was some water in between, or there was another little island where the gold was, so they couldn't get to it. But they didn't really explain it here. And I was like, why? Why just go, 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 go now? That's it. So anyway, so we get back to the farmhouse. Scott tells him the whole story of seeing the gold. Even though Mike saw it too, he changes his story, thinking that he didn't see it and that Scott and T-Bob may have been kissed with fairy dust or something. I can't remember what he says there. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Scott kind of scowls at him, and and then he now reiterates to Matt that they did see it. And then he isn't kissing anyone. <laughs> and he gives a big, like, yuck. <laughs> right. Which I kind of actually laughed at. Uh 
Matt asks him if he's sure it wasn't just the sun. Just true that these hills oft play tricks with your mind. Besides, they'd believe anything after they found the shamrock. It's a sham, all right. If you'd be excusing me, Mr. Tracker, I'd be going to round up me sheep now. Scott asks why would he lie if they did see the gold? And T-Bob says he's referring to Mike. He's full of baloney, like the castle Patty told him about. Well, Matt corrects him, it's Blarney. <laughs> and right. suggests they go take a ride there. So he pulls out this like picture from his briefcase and he's uh I, th- I think it was Scott that still thinks it's or maybe it was T Bob looks like a raw baloney or something. Anyway, there was right. some baloney joke there. But the, you know, Matt kinda shrugs them off at this point and decide to go sightseeing. So now we get to the castle. And this is where Scott asks why kissing a Balarney stone was fun. Matt says that it's supposed to make you more eloquent as he holds Scott's legs. You know, fancy words that no one understands but pretends to. So now T-Bob wants to try so he can talk good, as he puts it. <laughs> uh, Scott jokes that he needs it. So T-Bob is lowered kisses the rock, is raised, and then dusts himself off, all prim and proper. And that's when we hear our T-Bob basically change his vocabulary and states that <laughs> Your valuable assistance endears you to be in my indebtment. Now that I am a gentleman, bespoke of grand speech as well as eloquent letters. You're a man of letters, all right. D-U-M-B. Come on, you two. Couldn't help but think of uh, Stooges moment. B O N he head. But anyway, so Matt asked them to stop and see the rest of the castle. T Bob starts saying the elements of history. Then Scott races back and says that he's going to be history before too long. Overlooking from the castle, Scott comments on the multitude of daffodils when Scott turns and then says that there are few weeds in the garden. Matt says that that he's starting to make sense as we see Switchblade, Manta, Piranha, and Jackhammer arrive on the horizon. Venom! What could they be doing here, Dad? Whatever it is, I'll bet they're not picking four-leaf clovers. Come on! They run off and into a rental sedan, which seems to be kind of a long scene for me. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I was kind of... seemed a little bit timely, you know, for, uh, for what it was. Just seemed to go on. They uh, did get it right, though, because he jumped in the right side of the, uh, the car. car to drive, yes. Yeah. And Scott comments that he wishes they had the Thunderhawk instead of the rental car, which that perplexed me. He goes everywhere with Thunderhawk. He goes on a cruise. Right. He goes on a vacation. <laughs> and today he chooses not to take Thunderhawk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's when Matt leans over and opens the laptop and makes that good call level one emergency select the best agents for mission in ireland and we get i call it a quirky alarm it wasn't the the normal alarm that we typically hear Mm -hmm. and that's when we get julio lopez with firefly and uh, his skills as international missions and their little scene is that he's playing chess and basically rapidly uh, does a checkmate and just walks out Mm mm-hmm the next agent we get is 
Calhoun Burns, and he gets our new vehicle, Raven. And we get uh, his his job or his uh, skills are architect and amphibious vehicle. And his little scene is he's taking water to a horse, drops the bucket as the his Agents of Mask watch goes off uh, before he reaches the horse. And then he jogs off. Then he comes back to basically push it closer to the horse so it can actually drink it. Selection approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Advise, also need Thunderhawk for this mission. <laughs> and that was good that he uh, requested his baby to come along for it the ride. It still perplexes me. I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of drama to this. But why did you not take Thunderhawk? <laughs> Holy cow. That's your baby. You take it everywhere. Yeah. Jeez. Well, if you think about some of the episodes that we've rated a little more highly, it's where he's kind of caught in the jungle or he's out somewhere, doesn't have his mask, doesn't have Thunderhawk or anything to help him. And he gets cornered. It's the, I guess the dramatic effect for it, but they didn't really incorporate that into the episode. No, that, that's, why, that's why it disconnects me. You know, they jump in the rental car and go. Mm-hmm. That wasn't like a crazy scene where you have Switchblade overhead shooting at you. Now you wish you had Thunderhawk. It's right. more of we see them coming over the horizon. Yeah, we better, you know, 180 it and at least get a running, you know, running chance and call in the troops. That's not, I mean, the, the danger is impending, but not, not like I said, not like <laughs> Switchblade. Right. There you are, trucker. I'm going to get you and bombs them. You know? <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, after uh, Matt alludes to dropping Scott and T-Bob in the fighting O-Trackers back at the farm there, uh, we get to another farmhouse with all the Venom vehicles parked outside, and we see our pal Mike there that was watching Scott and T-Bob tell Mayhem. Tis true, Mr. Mayhem. I be seeing the treasure of Brian Baru with me own eyes. Who is this Brian? What's his name? Sounds like a two-bit thief to me. Probably one of your relatives, Rax. Shut up! I want to hear more about this treasure. According to the legend, King Baru left behind a lost pot of gold. And I found it down by the rocks, just like I told you. You told me! Now get lost! And then he tells Rax and Dagger to prepare the vehicles and Vanessa to check the supplies that they're leaving immediately. Well, Mike asks about his share of the treasure for essentially telling them, and Mayhem tells him that his share is his life. <laughs> I thought that was a good line. Right. Uh, Mike then tells Mayhem that uh, the uh, treasure is probably cursed by leprechauns, and he hopes fairy darts pierce his black heart, <laughs> and he kind of walks out. Dagger says he doesn't want to get hit by any fairy darts as Mayhem kind of grabs him by the collar and escorts him out, saying that he has had enough foolishness and he wants the treasure. Right. And Venom rolls out from there. And then we head back to the farm. Matt is telling Scott and T-Bob he's got some important work to do and tells them to stay there and, of course, to stay out of trouble. Well, T-Bob, who is still holding his shamrock, says they'll be as good as gold. Uh... Right. And, you know, they're going to be, I kind of said to myself, they're going to be going looking for the gold. Right. Uh, Well, (laughs) to me, 
I don't know if you saw it, but when when he's holding his shamrock, to me, he looked like he was doing the He-Man pose. You know, I am. I can't remember the line. It's been so long. You know, <laughs> I have the power. Yeah, I have the power. That's what it looked like to me. It's like he was doing the He-Man stance. I didn't. I didn't catch that. Um. Anyway, so Matt he rolls out in his rental car, and. I was kind of wondering where they were going to rendezvous with the agents. They didn't really, I would have thought maybe they would do it, you know, back at the farm or somewhere, but anyway, they didn't really go into that. No. Um, Scott tells T-Bob that um, it's a good idea that they'll find the gold and prove they weren't lying. I was like, I knew it. I knew they were going to go after it. T-Bob says, what does he have to fear with his lucky four leaf clover and a sinking feeling in his stomach? And I was like, well, he has a stomach. Uh, <laughs> God up? says they, uh, they'll go get the gold in his raft and that they won't sink. Team Bob reminds him that that's what they said about the Titanic, though. Wow. And uh, we are then headed out to sea now with Scott and T-Bob. As they are rowing. Boy, uh, this is dangerous, Scott. I expect to see icebergs any minute. But we couldn't get down to the end of the rainbow. From up on the cliff? This is the only way we can get in. Getting out is all I'm interested in. So they were, to me it was like, so they were like, Back at the scene, originally, they were like a hop away to getting on to the little tiny remote, not so remote island. And we take a little paddle boat ride. It just that to me, that was a big disconnect, Uh, probably for the dramatic effect. But still, it was Mm. I I guess I wanted this episode to speed up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So anyway, T-Bob's only worry about getting out. It now dawns on Scott where where's all this fancy talk. As T-Bob replies to that comment, the duo hits a boulder, then a wave grabs them and throws them out of the raft with Scott yelling, asking T-Bob, where are you? Uh, he bobs up to say he's drowning, and then Scott tells him to use his telescope legs, just like go-go gadget legs. Right, right. And T-Bob replies that he already is. It's too deep. Then a huge wave approaches as a duo scream for help, and T-Bob's four-leaf clover is left floating as we cut to our dramatic commercial break. <laughs> so where does this leave you? I'm, I'm almost hesitant to ask. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't... Uh... I didn't find too much going on with this that would knock me down a lot. Um, I mean, for being mainly a Scott and T-Bob story, I actually enjoyed the first half. Really like how they did the break, leaving it to kind of the imagination more of the viewer, showing that Clover just floating around, you know, on the surface and wondering where they are or what happened get sucked under the water, you know, those waves and stuff. And it's dangerous out there in those cliffs and and all that. Uh, if you think about it and the history of, you know, pirates using fake lights and stuff to crash ships and all that. So, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I kind of like the drama at the halfway point. The story was somewhat predictable, I guess, and it's kind of silly to think that Venom would be interested in just one pot of gold. You know, I was hoping Mike's kind of ties to Venom would be somewhat explained further and give more of a reason of how he was, you know, connected with them to begin with. Um, how he thought to, oh, I found gold. I'm going to call Mayhem. You know, was he a a trainee or, you know, that that kind of stuff interests me, I guess. Right. I'm trying to think what his ties were. Uh, there was a few roll my eyes moments early, but I actually thought the duo's interaction was more natural and funnier than most episodes. They were really harping on each other's quirks, which is, I think, a lot better than just using puns. Scott was talking to, you know, T-Bob about all of his proper language he was using and getting on him for that and his clover. And and then T-Bob was harping on him for not believing in luck. And then all of a sudden he now believes in luck, you know, that kind of a thing. They're, they're playing off each other more than just, I'm just going to insert this pun right here. So I kind of thought the humor was a little bit better and we got a good bit of details right in the episode with Matt, you know, driving on the left-hand side and, He's requesting the computer to send Thunderhawk, and they're also explaining why they could get to the gold first. You know, the uh, with the, uh, the getting there with the raft, and they kind of when I was wondering why they couldn't get to it at first, and realizing oh, there was some separation between them, they couldn't get to the gold. So, and I thought the animation was good, and there's some nice painting shots of that castle. And, and some of the other setup scenes I thought were really good. So I only dropped at a half point. I'm down at 4.5. What say you? Well, maybe this maybe it was the wrong day for me to watch this. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, the good for me, uh, aside from the panic shots, uh, the back and forth was okay. But to me, I guess I, I thought it was a little too much. Uh, like like you said, it's more of a yeah. It was more of a Scott and T Bob episode, like you said, mm-hmm. and I know they add to it. Some some episodes they really added to it, but it, it was just, I guess, it was too much back and too forth for me. But the call up was good. We get Julio and now Calhoun and Raven. Mm-hmm. Um, I like you. I kind of saw the plot already. Once they said the pot of gold, I'm like, well. There, there's the plot. Venom's after it. You know, it was kind of yeah. very predictable. The genetically modified sheep was a little of a reach, but I, I left it be because you know it is mask, and they came up with other quirks mm-hmm. that were crazier. But as a whole, I'm not interested in this episode. It just didn't draw me in. I, I it just. I, I guess I wasn't captivated yet. Even with the dramatic commercial, uh, I guess maybe I kind of saw that, you know, they were going to be rescued or they were, it wasn't as, tr- to me, it wasn't as traumatic as it probably could be. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, falling off a Matt, cliff. Or, yeah. yeah I, I guess I was anticipating that. Maybe that's a false falsity of mine, but it just didn't captivate me. I was not drawn in on this. And I guess what tweaked my tailpipe, if you want to call it that, for automotive talk, <laughs> was 
Matt leaves freaking Thunderhawk behind. Uh, where was the drama? What was the <laughs> drama of that? Except that they sped away in the rental car. There was no, like, like I said yeah. earlier, it was not impending doom. It wasn't yeah, like but- Matt falling out of the freaking spinning restaurant without Spectrum. Right. That well, I get. I, I don't yeah. get. You, you take the baby everywhere else. What gives? Well, I, I, and here's where I liked them having the rental cars because he got to use the laptop. We got to see that again, which we. But know he's is, used the laptop sitting in the hotel room. Well, he has. Yes, it's true. But just carrying along with him, he he's at least prepared enough to call the team if necessary. Right. I guess I like see that, but totally, totally out of you know the country, so right. to speak. So anyway, boiling it down, I had to give it an 80s rating because I wasn't about ready to completely fail this. <laughs> so I gave it a 1.21 rating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, just, I just... Holy cow, you dropped it all the way down to one. I just cannot. I can't quite... Okay. I'm like you. I can't quite kill it. But uh, you got wow. you to impress this me. could be here. interesting then. We're going to see if what... Uh, what they can give you back in part two. <laughs> so, All right. Well, uh, let's get back into it after the break. Scott services briefly and then dives down to pull T-Bob to the surface again. Scott tells him it's no time for blowing bubbles as another wave pushes them towards like this pole. And they latch onto it. And T-Bob says he's standing on something. There's an old wreck under there. You're going to be a wreck too if we don't get out of here. We'll get to that rock if we walk on the mask. Hang on, Scott. And Scott is now hanging on to T-Bob. And they make it to the rock with T-Bob then shaking water out of his ear holes, calling it, I think, the Great Flood or something. I don't know. I was rolling my eyes at that one. Um, So with them safe, we're back with Matt. And he gets out of his car seeing uh, tire tracks. And he quickly identifies them as venom treads and also finds some wool fibers. Maybe they can tell me something. I'll put these through analysis when the Thunderhawk arrives. Mayhem's not going to pull any wool over my eyes. Well, other than that bad pun, I wasn't sure where Matt was at this point. He was, it looked like the house where I guess Venom and Mike were, but I I don't know how he would know to go there. Right. I, I just didn't know. You know where he took off to and where he was at this point. That was that what I was. Really that was what, that was like me. I just to me it, a similar farmhouse, but I don't. I didn't think it was the same one, so I didn't know where. Yeah, along the route. Been, right. He could. He could have went back to the castle or something. Oh, that's where I saw Venom. Let me try to you know trail him. Um, but they just didn't make that really obvious. So that we get cut back to um, this nice like panning shot of Scott and T-Bob on this rock with the rainbow overhead. And Scott ponders now if only their raft hadn't ripped. Well, T-Bob gets an idea and tells Scott to climb aboard. And he begins to transform to scooter mode, but he hops towards the water and then engages, I guess, his surfboard mode, which I didn't know he had. That uh, was actually pretty cool. I liked it. It was a cool his, his yeah, it was, ski mode is what I called it. Well, it was it was a cool feature, but I'm like, why in the world didn't you use that to begin with? Okay. <laughs> you yeah. wanted to have to bring out the raft. That's it. Why didn't you think about it 
way back in you know 20 minutes ago or whatever that yeah but anyway now you know why my rating wasn't so great right well there were some there were some moments like that where i was like come on but um anyway he asked scott what he thinks and he can only complain that why he didn't think of this sooner well you're the one that built them you big dummy that's it (laughs) um T-Bob says he always criticizes him as a large wave causes them now to capsize in this uh, ski mode. And T-Bob latches onto another rock with Scott kind of hanging on to T-Bob. And then T-Bob uses his telescoping arms to latch on another rock. And then he drags himself over in another rock and they do this more until they reach the shore. I should have called you T-Crab. Look, T-Bob, it's that rainbow again. This time, I'm going to get that pot of gold. And this is where Scott is actually disappointed, seeing that it's merely an illusion. T-Bob jokes, easy come, easy glow. And <laughs> that's the clue for Scott that I, I guess that's what, 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 you know, what triggered him to think more about it. So they run into a cliff where they see a mirror. Scott ascertains that it's a prism reflecting the gold. Duo go back and forth, and then Scott looks into this basically a little crevice or a crack in the in the rocks, and says, "We didn't see this." Duo looks in and exclaims, "Wow!" And here's a pot of gold. And as he as he says that he doesn't intend to close his eyes for a second, Scott wonders how they could get a sample so that they can uh, give it back to Matt, to, basically to to believe their story. Right. Next, we hear a helicopter sound. Uh-oh, here comes trouble with a capital V. Boy, it sure is getting crowded in here. Come on, we've got to hide. We see Switchblade carrying Piranha and uh, Jackhammer with uh, Manta flying along. Switchblade lowers Piranha and Jackhammer from this, I it guess... It was a it cool was... feature. I, I thought it was cool. I, I did a quick snapshot of it and shared it on Facebook and on Twitter. Yeah. It was like this claw, but it still had some kind of actuator to pick up and drop the vehicles. So, you know, and going, keeping with the story that this is kind of like a secluded island, I thought it was good. You're you're bringing the land vehicles along uh, with this, like, claw feature. Right. So, I thought that was kind of cool. It was. So, anyway, they lower the vehicles, Venom lands and comes up to the projected image of the pot of gold. Hey, look at all that gold. The shepherd was right. Close your mouth, Rax, before a bat mistakes it for a cave. And that's actually pretty good. She was on him this episode. <laughs> Every time he spoke. It gets worse and worse as they go, you notice? Right. So Dagger is elated as well with Miles shouting, shut up. I swear that's all Miles knows how to say anymore. Um, mm, at least the Dagger. Yeah. Uh, after a lot of name calling, he instructs him to get him the gold. Dagger runs up to it and then basically walks right through the image, falling on the other side. You idiot! The treasure is in there! Blast it out of there! And they peek through the crevice where he instructs them to blast the gold out of there. And that's when we cut to our transport plane, which is flying in and landing. Finally. Yeah, really. <laughs> now, I, I did put that in there because I thought 
you know, finally we get to this point where it arrives and it lands in a field with Matt looking on. As it comes to stop, it opens its big, huge, I call them the mouth doors of the right. plane. And Matt jogs up the ramp and drives out Thunderhawk with Firefly and Raven following behind. And the transport plane then flies off and the agents kind of huddle around uh, Thunderhawk's computer for analysis of the fibers. Subject confirmed. Dual fibers. Result of analysis. Fibers are from new strain of tracker sheep. Not exactly Mary's little lamb. You're right. Patty and Mike are the only ones handling those sheep. Let's go question them. And the vehicles roll out. And I was trying to put the story together here. Okay, well, maybe Matt was back at that uh, farmhouse where Venom was and he found the fibers from Mike being there and now they're going back to ask Mike. Well, I don't know why they just didn't talk to him in the first place about what was going on. Anyway, we get back to Patty's farm and the mask agents confront Mike and he admits to wanting a share of the gold. He says work as a farmhand leaves him with his hands uh, being the only thing that lines his pockets. <laughs> Julio kind of confronts him here, saying that... Seems to me you don't care what you have to do to line those pockets. The gold would have been mine. But those thieves threw me out after I told them where it was. About this gold, sir. Where did it come from? Calhoun asks what gold he was talking about, and Mike tells him about the legend of Brian Baru and about how the gold was used to capture ships crashing into the island and when they spotted the gold. And Matt now thinks that Scott and T-Bob were telling the truth. And they run off to their vehicles again. And Mike warns them, like he you know, did to Venom, that they're doomed by a thousand fairy darts, just like Mayhem and his friends. And Julio asks Matt where to, and Matt says to follow the rainbow. So we get back to the cave where we've got uh, Jackhammer and Piranha converting and beginning to laser blast a hole in the wall to reach the gold um, still hiding around the corner, uh, which I did a panorama of this shot here. This was pretty cool where Scott and T-Bob are kind of hiding and the vehicles are in the horizon there up on this hill. Scott tells T-Bob to rock away and T-Bob throws this rock and lands on Jack Hammer's windshield guard. Hey, who did that? Open again, Dagger. Move these rocks, now! But I did! The leprechauns moved them back! I won't take any more lame brain excuses from a lame brain! Now get back to work! You know what the shepherd said! Them leprechauns got this place, and they're gonna get us with them fairy dots! You moronic jerk! I'll give you something to worry about if you don't keep working! So, Mayhem kind of kicks a rock in frustration which lands next to T-Bob, and T-Bob hurls it back at Dagger, which causes him to jump, which is kind of a fun scene there. Yeah. Uh, and then we finally get Mask now approaching with an awesome, may, maybe the best part of the whole, or our highlight, best highlight of the whole episode with this transformation sequence. It was. Uh, we see Mask entering the scene, as you said, all jumping off the cliff and transforming to me, this is probably the best of the whole freaking episode. Well, it's cool. They just look, kind of drive off a cliff and expect their cars to convert. You know, what would happen if they didn't at that time? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It was it was really cool. 
It was, but you know, me, me, and noticing things. There was no mask commands when the masks come on. Matt says, "There's the rainbow," and Venom is properly at the end. A surprise, Mayhem yells, "Mask to your vehicles, Tiger! Continue blasting!" I like the, they caught the detail of uh, Miles's eyes, like they were very surprised. Mm-hmm. Venom jumps in their vehicles uh, with their masks coming down. And we see a quick shot of the mask vehicles. Then the duo comment, it's Matt and the team. T-Bob also adding, uh, just in time. Matt starts blasting at Manta and Piranha, shattering Manta's windshield, which was good to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Raven takes aim at Switchblade. Aim to do better next time. Time for a swim, mask. These discs will lure that shark mayhem where I want it. Who crashes into the hillside and screams to the ground. <laughs> that was really nice. I mean, again, we have made it no secret that we love the like the mortality of the vehicles and showing right. damage and all that. But man, that was that was a heck of a crash. It was. That was actually good. I liked it. Miles jumps into Jackhammer and the two drive off as Firefly blasts away at them. The blast shows uh, Miles at an underground entrance and he instructs Dagger to follow it. Julio comments, uh, what do you know? A hole in one. <laughs> We're in the cave now with Jackhammer approaching the pot of gold with Dagger commenting, we found the treasure of Brian Peru, and there's none of them leprechauns inside. Shut up, you brainless cretin. We'll load up what we can, then we'll come back for the rest. On the surface, I, now, I thought that uh, at that point, it's one little pot of gold. Shouldn't they be able to fit it all in Jackhammer in one load? You would think. <laughs> and what gets me is he says, we'll fit it all and come back for the rest. Well, they didn't true. even do that for that load, the last gold load. There's, <laughs> they they ball, you know, balled it up in Santa's sack. <laughs> right. It looked right. like there was two tons there before. So, right. Uh, yeah. So on the surface, Matt is chasing Rax and v- Vanessa. Rax asks, doesn't that tin can pilot ever give up as he comically falls into the hole and coincidentally falls off his bike well we haven't seen that for a while so that was actually pretty good right yeah we were due for a rex crash yeah vanessa pulls up and says get in racks before i change my mind and yeah to me notice i noticed that there was no mask that the the reverb sound effect mm-hmm. that they usually do when they're she's in, when they're wearing their masks mm-hmm. she transforms matt manta into jet mode and matt notices the duo can be Scott and team up. Not again. Then we saw Mayhem and Dagger loading up the gold. You should have seen what we did to them. Dagger was convinced we were leprechauns. Yeah, it's too bad the leprechauns aren't really around to protect the gold. Maybe there are, but you two wait in here. Of course, that probably broke. I know it wasn't part of the scene, but it, I could already hear Scott going, Oh, Dan. <laughs> uh, I liked how he kind of snapped his fingers, you know. Yeah. You wait here. 
So anyways, we're inside the cave where we see, I'm sorry, we hear Julio's voice, kind of a reverb voice rather. I wouldn't be doing that if I were you. Dagger turns and drops the gold bars on Miles' foot, sending him <laughs> hopping in pain. Next, we see a very small pink silhouette as it warns them. The wrath of all the wee people in Ireland be upon ye if you don't return our gold. Get moving, you gawking goon! There he's gone! Wait, Dagger! I'm getting out of here! As Mayon tells him to get going, the pink image shoots a laser at Dagger's feet. They're making him jump in the air in panic as he bulldozes <laughs> Miles over. Uh, suddenly, Miles is now scared and says, "Wait, I'm getting out of here." And, yeah, uh, this—that was probably the best comedy of the whole scene. Was that little bit right there? Yeah, it was. It was kind of comical. Um, but like right after this, where Dagger kind of emerges from the tunnel and you know, telling them not to follow him and he drives off the cliff. I'm like, where is mayhem? Cause we didn't see him jump in the sub and I, you know, he's just kind of running after piranha at this point. Right. So I was like, what, what happened to mayhem? But apparently he was in the sub cause you know, um, they hit the water and dagger holds onto the back of the sub as it takes off. <laughs> I was just, I don't know. I thought it was just weird. Right. You get blasted in the face with the sub engines uh, hanging on the back like That's that. Anyway, um, we get back to the cave now, and Calhoun comes around the corner, and he uses Gulliver full power to enlarge the Leprechaun, which was Matt all along. Gulliver, full power. <laughs> Thanks, Calhoun. With your mask and laser bolts from Spectrum here, we sure leprechauned Venom. <laughs> uh, we get back to the farm, and Matt says, since the gold was found on Patty's property, it will fund the new wool and textile plant. Matt says when Mike found out, he was so ashamed, and he essentially left the country. Uh, so they they didn't put him in jail or bring any charges on him. <laughs> Um, Patty says he's sorry about Mike, but with his new breed of sheep and the the plant, the town will now prosper again. And in the meantime, of course, Scott and T-Bob are bouncing around in the wool with Scott calling it fun. You said it, Scott. Sheer ecstasy. (laughs) As they all, of course, chuckle and we pan out from the barn and Fade to black to the end of the episode. And we fade right up into, of course, our PSA. Where they are having a family barbecue with Scott saying, What a slow burn, T-Bob. Those burgers aren't even cooking. Yeah, they're in the pink, all right. I know how to hurry them up. Scott, don't ever add lighter fluid to a fire. It could explode. Yeah, you're right, Dad, he replies. T-Bob gives him a burger and then and asks, Try it now. Scott replies, it's good. Well done, T-Bob. And they all have a laugh. <laughs> I was like, he just kind of grabs the burger right off the grill. I was like, that's, that's not hot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <a> big bite. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is a cartoon. Right, right. 
Well, um, uh, I guess getting into where I landed on the final rating, um, just in the second half, I I did like the drama at the at the halftime. I liked that they somewhat worked together to get the safety, although Scott, you know, he pulled T Bob up and uh but it was essentially T Bob that kind of saved the day, you know, moving them back to the the shore. I liked uh Switchblade's extension, the car carrier there. I thought that was a fun new feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that switchblades, you know, being destroyed in that battle, I thought it was going to be over kind of at that point. They were going to bail because usually once a vehicle or something gets destroyed and even with uh, racks toppling and going in Manta and Manta flying off, I thought it was going to be over at that point. But it lasts a little bit longer than I expected after that and doing that whole little trick with Gulliver. So we got, you know, these episodes where we get the new agents. There was kind of a standard or precedence that's been set of there's usually some pretty good sequence or transformation sequence. And usually we'll get to use their mask at least once so we can see what it does. And we can kind of get introduced to the characters. So we did, we had a good one pretty much for Raven. We got the the Gulliver use. We got Raven shooting those discs mm-hmm. like the toy. We got to see Firefly transform, you know, in that sequence that we talked about that we thought was probably the best part of the episode. Didn't get Julio's mask, which I think is steamer. Didn't get that uh, at all. So I don't know. I guess it was, uh, it was okay. We, we got introduced to them somewhat. Um, I could tell Julio, and obviously with his name, that he's Hispanic. Didn't know exactly what accent or where Calhoun was coming from. I don't know if you. I I heard tell. it, but I don't. I couldn't place where they were trying to. I don't know if it was like supposed to be Australian or I. I don't know. I couldn't. Yeah. Maybe it was just uh, American. Um, <laughs> who knows? But I I couldn't really dip into that. And then of course the although the you know the disc didn't do anything other than just smack the side of the switchblade, I thought the whole destruction sequence was was pretty cool. Some of the bad things I put down, I'll just run through quick. I wasn't high on the sound effects on this episode for mainly the vehicles, but you mentioned a couple little things with the you know the reverb effect that they were or weren't using um with the masks. Right. Um some were good, like the transport plane was really good, and I liked that scene and kind of how they watched it fly off. I'm always wondering who is flying that thing if it's on if it's on autopilot or if it's Bruce up there, you know I'm just flying y'all over this time, but anyway the, some of the vehicle sounds, the car sounds that are usually good i for some reason didn't didn't think they were that great this episode. You know, as far as the story, I wish they had filled in a little bit more of the gaps and how they were connected, like Mike and how he contacted Mayhem. For me, Matt believing Scott and T-Bob about the gold after Mike was told uh, told Matt about the myth was, I don't know, I guess it was a little bit of a stretch. Of course, by now, Matt has seen a bunch of these legends and, you know, long-lost treasures come to life and in 
turn out to be true across the globe in other episodes. So maybe Mike's witness would have been enough for him to believe that this gold existed. But I don't know. The other disconnect with the story was that Mike issued all of these warnings and curses on the gold. So if he was that worried about, then why did he even want it in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> that was just something that pulled me out. And the puns finally worn on me by the time the episode was over. There was a lot more in the second half. There was in the first. And a lot of that, I thought, which was good humor in the first episode, didn't really carry over in the second. And, uh, you know, why didn't Mayhem just hop in Jackhammer and, and take what gold he could have to when, you know, when he fled? Um, that would make too much sense. Yeah. But then again, I guess putting it in Jackhammer would be a bad plan anyway, because they had to, they would have had to fly Jackhammer out of there. So right. I, maybe the whole plan was just, why don't you get a, a, a tarp or something for uh, some kind of cargo net on Switchblade to carry it out of there? Anyway, one tick that I'll mention, you know, when they first encounter the gold, they're looking through this crack and they can see it; it's right there. But then they had this long underground entrance to get down to the gold, which really didn't match up with the angle that they were looking. And no, you know, this was like, you know, hundreds of feet down in the ground where they went down there with the vehicles. They weren't looking hundreds of feet in the ground when they're looking through that crack to see the gold, no. you know? So that was just a little tick that kind of bothered me. Oh, I didn't. I did mention maybe Calhoun's accent is. Uh, it's kind of sounded like the Fonz from Happy Days. You know, I don't. know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what they're going for. I can't remember who does his voice. If it's uh, Mark, who was the you know the impressionist. But um, anyway, I ended up pulling it down another point. I went down to three point five, but I still rounded up to four. I thought it was better than the last episode, which I think I. I gave it a three. So uh, I'm a little scared. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be your lowest yet or if you had any 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 reason to bring it back up from that 1.21. But uh, what was yeah. your final verdict? Well, the, the jumping scene was actually pretty cool. I like seeing them all jump off the cliff. Uh, that was a pretty good effect where they're all transforming. Uh, mm-hmm. Got to see Raven... And see what it does. I was a little disappointed. I thought this should do more than just basically lob a frisbee at someone. But, you know, it is what it is. But we still got to see the Gulliver mask and what it does. It's actually pretty impressive. It's a pretty cool feature, I thought. Yeah. the. I guess I got – there's more comedy to me with all the bickering and yelling back and forth from Miles with the other Venom troops, you know, yelling yeah. at – Yonah Dagger and Vanessa and Rax bickering back and forth. That was actually fun for me. That helped push the ratings up a little bit. But to me, it was still a weak episode. It just did not grab me. The the disconnects, like you said, to you it was a tick. To me, it was just, uh, what are you thinking? You, it's literally right on the other side of this rock wall. And yet now you open this alternate route that mm-hmm. shows it you know, a quarter mile, a couple hundred yards, whatever distance down below. So that's all way off. The sound effects were not right. I should mark them up as ticks rather than down like I usually do. But the whole 
the whole, you can't even say mask on only on occasion to get the mm. mask to come down. There's so much that bugged me. And then, you know, I, I don't, I don't really count it, but the whole PSA didn't, you know, jive with anything. Right. Well, I th- now that I think about it too, that might've been the only mask use we had this whole episode was him shrinking. Right. Yeah, that's it. We didn't, ha- well, no, we had spectrum because spectrum shut the laser. We well, still didn't hear him shout. Still, yeah, it was still kind of tied around that scene, though. There, the the battle between the vehicles and when Mask first came on the scene, I thought was good. But yeah, that they didn't really do any do any Mask battling. That's it. So, what did you finally land on? Well, I I moved it up just a small tick. I moved it up to like a one point five, and I rounded up to two. Okay. Uh, just, just to me, the ha- writers' hearts were not in this episode. It's like they were just scrounging for material for this episode. To me, just I, yeah. I just didn't feel right. Well, to me, and uh, again, I I probably went a little bit easier on it than you, but it did not make sense that somebody was going to call Venom in for just one little pond of gold unless it was some big, huge treasure, right? That kind of thing, you know, like we talked about, was it the last episode where Dagger's hauling this uh, sack of gold bars is what they came for in the, uh, for the Jesse James treasure. I'm like, come on, you know, this is, this is kids play for Venom. They should be uh, going after Fort Knox and, (laughs) you know, these, these long lost artifacts that have some miraculous power. That kind of a thing, more than just a couple bars of gold here and there. I mean, that whatever treasure they would have gotten away with out of this pot of gold were probably covered to build another switchblade. That's it. But uh, (laughs) not much else. So maybe I should have. Maybe I should have been a little more critical of it. But I don't know. I for some reason uh, maybe it was because we got some new agents involved too that that helped weigh it a little bit higher than an episode where it was just the same old guys and stuff, but we were a little bit off, uh, with yeah. the rating, but, um, I guess before going to the poll, any thing noted from our script that you saw in there? This one, Maybe. this one, no, I, I was really digging, but I couldn't, I didn't see anything either. I haven't probably in a while, a few episodes, but then again, you know, like we've said before, we had, about the first 30 or 35 episodes that we were reviewing, kind of looking for ideas and stuff when we wrote the script. So some of these, this is the second half of the series. We really didn't go over and haven't gone over until now. Right. So um, the poll, we didn't get that many votes this time. The overwhelming majority went to four, which was 50% of the 57% of the vote. And we just had one vote for, five, three, and two at 14%. So we, it was a little top heavy as far as the voting goes. And uh, we've got some comments here to pass along uh, our listener reviews. As we finish up our own reviews, our first uh, comment is uh, John Tregonis. Right. And uh, he, he went really in depth. Uh, I'm going to, just for the sake of time, we've been going on for quite a while. I'm going to kind of, kind of highlight it if you don't mind John uh, I enjoyed this episode I watched it twice 
actually mainly because the transformations of Thunderhawk, Raven, Firefly, and even Manta were some of the best I've ever watched in Mask. Overall, I I didn't really catch too many flaws in this episode, except maybe some of the ones we've seen before, Matt, assuming the treads could only belong to Venom, calling in a level one emergency for very little to go on. Fast forwarding, he, uh, he kind of comments, he finishes up that all in all, I thought this was a very fun episode with lots of stellar animation, particularly in the transformations, but also in some of the wise shots of Ireland, the ocean and the rocks. I think he meant to say wide shots there, but yeah, yeah. There were some great panning and pretty cool setup shots uh, throughout. Um, Next comment goes over to Decker. And this person says pretty much like the episode for Calhoun Burns and Raven, which is my favorite toy as a kid. I've always wondered because of this episode where exactly they intended Agent Burns to be from. Plus, the way he says Gulliver always makes me smile. Keep up the great job reviewing episodes. It allows us fans to relive talking to our friends about the episodes like we were kids. So, thank you, Decker, for that compliment. And uh, we've got uh, another one here from Anna, of course. Right. This is a nice episode. Its highlights were when the mass vehicles transformed in the beginning of the battle towards the end in the split screens when the mask and venom masks come on. Mm-hmm. I also noticed that we see Manta transform back from its airplane mode. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's very often that we see this, which is true. Going from airplane to to car? Car, yeah. It's usually the other way around. True. In addition, I thought it was cool when Scott and T-Bob realized they were standing on a shipwreck and how it's explained later how ships mm-hmm. that came uh, came looking for the treasure were smashed against the rocks. Finally, I like how Venom treated Mike when he thought he would receive a share of the treasure. Once again, they revealed themselves as true villains. However, like the quest of the canyon, I don't think this episode contained enough interesting or unusual to make it stand out from the rest of the treasure hunting stories. And also, like the lost fleet, it contains some stereotypes. They are incorrect, but who knows? Maybe portraying Ireland like this will attract more tourists. (laughs) Well, then that's what they normally do with these. When they go to different countries, they play off their resources their what essentially what they're known for and yeah it it is kind (laughs) of profiling if you want to call it that but i don't know i this this episode didn't bother me too much i'm not too familiar with ireland anyway but um you know they go kiss the barney stone that kind of a thing you knew that was coming and they do some of the hit some of the famous sites usually when they're at the, you know, every location, but uh, yeah, good point about the plane mode. I was thinking, I think it's the, it's the episode where they're in Rome and they get the sword of Caesar. Can't remember the name of that one where I remember Manta 
transforming back into car mode and like hiding amongst some trees. For some reason, that sticks to mind. Hmm. What was that? The ghost sword? No, this might have been Caesar's sword or something like that. Caesar's sword, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's a good call on that, Anna. And then uh, we've got a, another lengthy kind of comment uh, from Jade who left it on Facebook. I'm going to try to zip through this like you kind of did, Wyatt. Uh, highlights, she says, really like Scott and Matt. Uh, and Matt's reaction of T-Bob speaking eloquently after kissing the Blarney Stone. That car that Matt has to drive is hilariously boxy. Did like the details of him driving on the correct side of the road. Gulliver, I think, was used well for the episode because of Dagger's fear of being hit by the fairy darts. They kind of played on that, which I don't know. That that was kind of a stretch, too. How did they know that he was afraid? That's it. Um, didn't really, they wouldn't have really known that. Uh, some quibbles, she says. A lot, all of this regards the sheep scenes. Too many jokes and bad puns. Uh, the wolf fibers and T-Bob saving the day in the water was far too convenient. Well, I love the scene where Mask tricks Venom and how they used Spectrum to create the fairy darts. How did Matt and Calhoun sneak in there without Mayhem and Dagger noticing? And then some comments on the two new agents. Julio, she says, though it lo- at least it looks good on him. He's got some really dated clothing. He's probably the worst offender of them all with the rolled up shirt and jacket sleeves. <laughs> kind of the Miami Vice look. And she wanted to see Steamer as I did, or Streamer. Is it Steamer or Streamer? One of those two. Um, Calhoun, I liked his introduction feeding the horses. Uh, he also seems a bit cryptic as Bruce with the Mary's Little Land comment. And... Um, <laughs> He's, she thinks he kind of looks like Ant-Man. It's some sort of weird <laughs> Superman briefs with the with the top. Anyway, he, she thought his mask was cool from the front and the back thought it was uh, more like Blaster 2, which was uh, Honda's new mask. So she had some up and downs about that. But we appreciate the comment. And again, since it has been a while that we uh, <laughs> we've gone on here and podcasted, we... Cut a little, a few of the longer, lengthy comments short. So, right. Hopefully, you won't hold that against us, and we'll uh, maybe do some uh, more streamlined comments for the next episode. <laughs> like I said, we we apologize. We've been uh, life has gotten in our way for most of our delay. We hope to be recording this a little bit more frequently than we have. But like Jason said uh, on the the beginning of our podcast, you know, I've had tests, uh, we've had family and other, uh, things pop up. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're hoping to do a lot more, more often. Yeah. Yeah. Get back on track. And, uh, we've got one more episode essentially in the season. Um, episode 50, the Everglades oddity. And, uh, this might be a fun one. This is where Matt tracker is bitten by a venomous snake. And while he recovers, Alex Sector and Scott and T-Bob must lead the mask team to stop Venom's plan to steal the NASA space shuttle. So this is uh, this might be interesting to see Matt 
out of the picture and, and what the team can do without him. If memory serves me correctly, we actually might get T-Bob flying Thunderhawk in this episode. <laughs> so uh, this should be a, interesting. I don't know. I don't know which way it's going to go for me. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it uh, how it turns out, and then, of course, right after we review number fifty, we'll do a quick walkthrough overview of season five, and uh, this is where we go back and give our ratings for each one, and we can kind of see how our overall rating of those ten episodes stacked up to the ten episodes of other seasons of Mass Cast that we've done. Uh, up to this point and that's usually fun and we can get a peek ahead uh, I might do a little bit more peeking than I've done in the past to <laughs> the next season 51 to 60 and then we'll see maybe we can get that done this year um, if we can get at least uh, a review out each month and maybe double up uh, on a couple months that could be possible I think that was kind of the goal that we set to try to get through episode 60 in 2017 so maybe we can uh keep on track with that and do some reviewing of the comics and get some of our friends and uh, other fellow fans on the air with us to uh to chat as well as we uh as we continue the journey that is mass cast that is it uh we've had an awesome time a blast as i usually say wanted to invite you shameless plug over to our other entity that we've uh we've also delayed for recently uh that is memory jogger over on rediscover the 80s.com you'll learn a little bit more about us and basically what it was like for at least us growing up in the 80s but not just 80s centric we're we're touching we're spanning the decades not just uh what we and what we lived in, but what we watched in other decades, uh, like I used the analogy, you know, we grew up with the 66 Batman. Uh, that was uh, that was our thing uh, back in the day, Monsters, uh, Three Stooges. Yeah. So, um, but go ahead and uh, find us on that. Otherwise, I think that wraps it up. So uh, on behalf of Jason, I am Wyatt, and thank you for listening to MassCast. Shut up! You told me! Now get lost! Enough foolishness! Let's get the treasure! Now! Shut up, Tiger, and put those bug eyes of yours back into that ninny brain of yours! You idiot! Move these rocks! Now! I won't take any more lame brain excuses from a lame brain! You moronic jerk! Shut up, you brainless cretin! You imbecilic moron! Get moving, you gawking goon!